1: Good morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, June 10th. San Diego records its first fully vaccinated person to die of COVID-19. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A wildfire near Camp Pendleton broke out on Wednesday afternoon, prompting some evacuations around the military base. The Camp Pendleton Fire Department is fighting the blaze. Per the latest updates from last night, about 1,000 acres have burned with no containment. Stay tuned to KPBS as we'll bring you the latest as it unfolds. The state's Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board, or Cal-OSHA, has withdrawn their order mandating masks in the workplace if all employees are not vaccinated. This comes after many businesses, including manufacturers and retailers, objected to the rule. The board will now consider a masking rule that will more closely align with the state's broader plan to drop all masking and social distancing rules next Tuesday. San Diego County moved into California's least restrictive yellow tier on Wednesday, following two consecutive weeks of an adjusted new daily COVID-19 case rate of fewer than two cases per 100,000 residents. It happened with just six days left before the state scraps the tiered system altogether. In the meantime, the county reported 62 new COVID-19 cases and one additional death. Other counties in the yellow tier include Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Orange County. From Cape KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.
1: It's a first for San Diego County that no one wanted to see. The county says a woman who had been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 died of the disease this week, a so-called breakthrough case. KPBS's John Carroll says the death is exceedingly rare when compared with the overall effectiveness of the vaccines.
2: There's been so much good news surrounding COVID lately, San Diego County coming close to the goal of getting 75% of people here vaccinated, advancing to the yellow least restrictive tier. But now news from the county that a 70-year-old woman, who they say had many underlying health conditions, died of the virus despite being vaccinated. Dr. Christian Ramers is an infectious disease specialist with Family Health Centers of San Diego.
3: Well, I mean, you have to acknowledge that it's true. It it did happen. This is what we call
2: a breakthrough case. A breakthrough case, a situation where even with the vaccine, the virus overcomes the body's ability to fight it off. But to say these cases are exceedingly rare is a big understatement.
3: So in the CDC's tracking database, uh, you know, 3,000 cases of breakthrough cases out of 135 million people vaccinated. So that's a 0.002% rate of hospitalization and a 0.0004% risk of
2: death. In other words, for people still hesitant to get the vaccine, this one breakthrough case is not a reason not to get vaccinated.
3: You know, scientifically and medically, it is the best tool that we have by far uh, at getting people protected. We're seeing these, these incredible falling numbers. It's really because of those that have been vaccinated.
2: Plus, being vaccinated means the ability to return to doing lots of things without having to wear a mask. And Dr. Ramers says for those still unvaccinated, there's something else to consider. You
3: will be increasingly asked, maybe it's by your employer, by an airline, by a concert venue, to prove that you're vaccinated. Uh, We do this already for so many other diseases.
2: The bottom line, even with the tragic breakthrough case, there's no reason not to get vaccinated and every reason to get the shot to help society as a whole move back to where we were before any of us had ever heard of COVID-19.
1: And that was KPBS's John Carroll. A children's hospital in Colorado recently declared a state of emergency, citing increasing numbers of youth suffering from mental illness. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says local experts say they, too, are seeing a significant increase in mental health-related visits to the emergency room, a surge that can be directly linked to COVID-19.
4: At this point, over a year into the pandemic, we have data. So we know that the rates of anxiety, depression, and eating disorders, they've all increased.
5: Dr. Willow Jenkins is a child psychiatrist and the inpatient medical director at Rady Children's Hospital. Personally, I see children every single day. She says there has been about a 25% increase in mental health visits to their emergency room.
4: Could be a variety of things, but to bring a child to the emergency room for a mental health issue, obviously, it's something that's pretty acute and pretty severe. So our most common reason is
5: suicide, whether it's the thoughts of suicide suicide or actual action Dr. Jenkins says early interventions are key for preventing worse outcomes, and for parents that can be as simple as talking to your kids a little bit more, especially if you notice something just isn't quite right.
4: And I know a lot of parents get kind of nervous or unsure of how to have that conversation, so I always tell families, please, please ask. If you ask, you're not going to make that child think about it more, it's not going to cause them to act. If anything, you'll get more information and potentially even save their life. This is very, very serious.
5: Rady Children's has a 24-bed inpatient mental health unit, which has been full, and during During the pandemic a new psychiatric emergency room wing opened up
4: one of a few nationwide Uh, it's a six bed specialized pediatric psychiatric emergency room so it's staffed with a child psychiatrist specialized nursing um, social workers everything is geared to supporting the mental health of
5: youth jenkins says there are a number of reasons for the increase in visits
4: the fears of getting sick at this point in the pandemic we've had children that have lost their parents to COVID-19. So there's grief and there's loss. And then there's obviously the indirect effects of the pandemic. So this is relating to school closures, being socially isolated, being away from friends and peers.
5: She says ongoing racial injustice issues and political tensions are also a factor, plus the stresses of parents who may have lost their jobs.
4: So warning signs for mental illness in youth. So those usually are if you're seeing your child become more withdrawn not hanging out with their friends as much, not doing things they enjoy. If they're becoming more irritable, more angry, that's a key sign of depression in children and youth.
5: Jenkins says one of the most common fears from parents is if they think there's something wrong and they alert doctors, their child will automatically be put on drugs. But she says most mild to moderate cases can be handled with therapy.
4: Nothing is done without a full evaluation, talking to the family, reviewing all of the options.
5: San Diego County data shows in 2020 there was not an increase in youth suicides when compared with the previous few years. Anyone in crisis should call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org.
1: And that was KPBS's health reporter, Matt Hoffman. The reckoning on the role of police in society goes beyond the city streets. A group gathered in San Diego on Wednesday to call for the elimination of university police departments. Race and equity reporter Christina Kim has more from the event.
6: UC San Diego students and faculty together with local social justice organizations say it's time to end police presence on college campuses. Essence Leanne, a third-year UC San Diego student and an organizer with the group UCSD Cops Off Campus, was pulled over by campus police on May 25th. Leanne says she was racially profiled and still remembers what ran through her head in that moment.
7: I had an interpersonal dialogue with myself. Don't die, Essence. It, It was really that simple. And that's what you have to. You have to police yourself.
6: In an emailed statement, a UC San Diego spokesperson said the UC system has been working with stakeholders, including students, to create the Presidential Campus Safety Plan, which will, quote, transform UC's culture, policies, and practices to achieve a vision of safety in which all members of the community feel further welcomed, respected, and protected. The current UC San Diego Police Department budget is $13.9 million dollars. Students and faculty working to get police off campus say campus safety can still be achieved if the department is eliminated and those funds are redistributed. And that was KPBS Race and Equity reporter
1: Christina Kim. In March, the County Board of Supervisors ordered a review of its COVID-19 hotel sheltering program after reports of mismanagement. But source investigative reporter Cody Dulaney found county staff missed a June 1st deadline to produce that report.
5: County staff gave San Diego State a $140,000 contract to do the review, which was supposed to take 90 days. But it took them more than a month to work out the contract. Now, the June 1st deadline has been pushed back to sometime next month. That's bad news for guests like Shira Beam, who has been staying at one of the county-run hotels since February. She said she doesn't have anywhere else to go. Imagine the worst nursing home you could possibly imagine, your grandma being in or something. That's what this is like. It's like the worst place ever. Chairman Nathan Fletcher said he prefers the report to be right, not rushed.
1: That was iNewsSource investigative reporter Cody Dulaney. Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Coming up, due to the pandemic, around 12,000 American Legion posts were shut down in order to follow safety guidelines. Now they're able to reopen, but many of the posts are facing a financial crisis. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. More than 12,000 American Legion posts closed for at least part of the pandemic that left many of them in financial trouble. Now they're hoping people will come back for events like wedding receptions, family reunions, and bingo. Anne Kinningdorf of the American Homefront Project visited post number 327 in Shawnee,
7: Kansas. In the main hall of a modest brick building on a suburban street, a few dozen people hunker over bingo cards along white plastic folding
8: tables. G-47, G-47.
7: The post only takes a small profit after prizes are paid out, but the sounds of the game are exciting. They signal that the space has reopened to the public.
2: We've got a bingo.
7: Far from the calls of letters and numbers, the post's members and its commander gather around the bar in the basement, still reeling from their pandemic losses.
9: We were dying.
7: Richard Baer Sobek is a former Marine and Vietnam veteran. He's a longtime member, but just took over as post commander in May. When asked if he thinks they can regain their financial footing, he says,
9: Toss a coin up.
7: What galls Sobek is that while his post worked hard to follow health and safety guidelines, like closing for several months in order to keep its employees and 376 members safe, other posts did not.
9: Uh, That burnt a whole lot of people mentally, and they said, and so a lot of our people decided, well, the other posts are open, so we'll go there.
7: The Post received a loan from the Federal Paycheck Protection Program that helped out a little during the shutdown, but that money's just about gone. And the pandemic not only cost the Post revenue, but some of its members. Post manager Jeannie Barnhart says,
2: Yeah, it's, it's hurt us big time.
7: But it's getting better. They've resumed booking bands on Friday nights and slowly members have begun to return.
2: Now that they don't have to wear a mask, they're happy.
7: Dennis and Leanne Busby are glad to be back. Neither is a veteran, but Dennis is a member through Sons of the American Legion. His father served
10: in World War II. What's fun now is the joy of seeing some of these guys come in here. One of them came in last week that I hadn't seen for over a year. It was good to see him because you wonder if some of these people didn't die.
7: Now he and his wife are parked at a high top near the bar as many as four evenings a week.
10: Originally, the reason I decided to join was the fact that it's an older crowd that isn't quite so crazy.
7: Like a lot of people, the Busbys spent the lockdown watching Netflix. But as far as entertainment goes, he knew he was missing out.
10: And just amazing thing is, is some of these old veterans that sit around in here have stories to tell that you just go, what?
7: He says that while it was hard to be away, he appreciates that Post 327 followed guidelines.
10: It was as tough for them as anyone. It was tough for everybody, but they didn't complain about it or wonder why the somebody wasn't here to bail them out. It was just like, this is the way it is, so we'll go on.
7: Now that he's gaining some perspective on it, Richard Sobeck, the Post's commander, sees the situation a little differently. He tells about being strafed by enemy fire on a tiny island with a bunch of guys during Vietnam.
9: And that's nothing different from COVID. So, you know, we've been shot at by an enemy, it's called a disease. And if everybody worked together, It wouldn't have gotten quite as bad as it did.
7: Sobeck and his remaining members are hopeful that as word gets out that the post is back in business, hall rentals will take off again, and old friends will gather to hear the bands.
9: You know, where else can you go for a Friday night and pay five bucks and dance all night? Okay?
7: In Shawnee, Kansas, I'm Ann Kniggendorf.
1: This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Before Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda had a quieter success with a musical called In the Heights, which focused on the largely Dominican neighborhood of Washington Heights in New York City. The musical is now being brought to the screen by Crazy Rich Asians director John M. Chu. KPBS's cinema junkie Beth Accomando has this review.
8: This year marks the 60th anniversary of West Side Story, and In the Heights arrives as both a hearkening back to the old Hollywood musical and a direct challenge to it. Once upon a time in a faraway land called Washington Heights. Washington Heights is far away from both Hollywood and the mainstream media's representation of Latinx culture. So the irresistible attraction of the film is twofold. First, it gives us a glossy, big-budget film about a diverse community we don't often see highlighted. Hey, y'all, good morning. Second, the energetic, pulsing soundtrack grabs you and pulls you along, even when the 143-minute running time starts to drag. The film, however, serves up a mixed bag, with some numbers exploding with originality and flights of fancy, while others feel like the camera is planted in the audience with performers just singing into the lens. But despite some shortcomings, the film proves appealing and brings the play to the screen with vibrancy and a sense of giving voice to characters that too rarely get center stage.
1: Can we raise our voice tonight? Can we make a little noise tonight? That was KPBS Cinema Junkie host Beth Accomando. In the Heights is opening at movie theaters across the country.